Thank you, Jesus. The Lord's good, isn't he? All right, how many people in here thought they have a calling to, to either teach the Word or preach the Word or prophesy the Word in some ways to communicate the Word? Raise your hand. Well, that's a good thing. Y'all stand up. Here's why I want you to do this. It's because uh, many years ago I had a dream, and here's what the dream was. I was in this wilderness area, and I had this huge sword, but this, and I was trying to learn how to use the sword. But the sword was just so... Uh, it, it, the sword had a life of its own, okay? That's really what it was. I couldn't, you know, I was fighting that sword tooth and nail trying to learn how to swing it and use it. Uh, and, but I knew that was the word of the Lord. You know, out of his mouth proceeds a sharp two-edged sword. That, and so I knew the Lord was, was going to teach me how to, how to uh, use, use his word and handle his word. And, uh, but it took me a long time to get that sword where I felt like. But this morning as we was worshiping, uh, the Lord put a sword in my hand. And it was that same sword that I saw in the dream. Um, and the sword was, I'll tell you some things about this. It's a beautiful sword, of course, because it's the sword of the Lord. Uh, the handle on it had, uh, I saw diamonds, uh, inlays of diamonds, pearls, uh, jade, and rubies. I saw those four. You know, rubies would be like the blood of Jesus, Okay. Uh, of course, the pearls are the pearl of great price. The Lord Himself is the you know the worship and the value of the Lord. And I think the diamonds speak of the mind of Christ, the mind of the Spirit, because it's many-sided things. You know, what's that? Many facets. Yeah, many facets of the mind of Christ. Uh, and the jade is green, which speaks of the life of Christ. And those are things that God wants to release when His words being released. So uh, I'm glad you're standing. Let's lift your hands up to heaven because this, this sword is awesome. And you know what we can do with this sword? We can take this sword and jam it into the ground that God has given us and make a, and make a stand. Amen? Yeah. And that's really what the Lord wants to do. The Word of God has got this power on it, okay? And God wants us to take this sword that He's given us. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to jam it into the ground you know, because that was one thing that Bob was telling us about. The lion roars into the ground. That means he is just declaring the authority over the ground that God has given us. Of course, that ground is always our heart first and our minds. Uh, but there's the ground. There's other grounds that God wants, that's given each one of us. So, Father, right now, uh, Lord, everybody in this room, some of these people in this room don't have uh, 25 years or however long ago that was I had that dream to get a hold of this thing. So there's an impartation from the Lord. Amen. The Lord said, so Lord, I just want to impart that sword to people this morning, Lord. Uh, just give it to them, Lord, because you want people to take the sword of the Lord. The Bible says the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. Y'all remember that verse in the Bible? It's, it's you and God working together with the sword that He puts in your hand because it can't be, it just can't work with you, with God alone, because God's put you on this earth to speak out His Word. Father, we just want to release that right now, the sword of the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, just do that. And the people who are lifting their hands, there's power. This, this sword's real. I'll tell you that. This is a real sword. And God is doing something right now. I'll tell you that right now. I believe that. God is releasing this sword to you. It took me 25 years to get a hold of this sword. Of course, I was slow. But God is not, He can accelerate because we're in a time where the sword has got to get released into this nation. It really has to be released into this nation. 
if it doesn't get released, and it needs to get released in our homes and our businesses uh, with the people that we love, the people, God, just do that this morning. The people who need to hear about Jesus Christ and the people who need to hear about the love of the Father and the grace that you have, Lord, just release that this morning, Lord, and teach people in what would take them 25 years, let them learn it in a moment time, because you can do something that's supernatural, Father, in people's lives. When they speak the Word, there's going to be power on that Word, and there's going to be anointing on that Word, Lord. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I say, I believe in this, man. I mean, that sword is a beautiful sword. Thank you, Lord. In areas where you need prayers answered, did I not touch anybody who had their hand raised? Wave at me if I didn't. Because I'm believing in this. Uh, yeah, here you go. You got your sword. It's a nice one. It's a beautiful one. And the Lord will teach you. And this is the thing I learned about that sword. Like I said, that sword has a life of its own. In other words, it's not your strength that you wield this sword in. Arthur Wield, W-I-E-L-D. Arthur Burke used to have this saying, uh, you can't wield until you yield. It takes a yielding in your heart. And that was really, I was fighting that sword in that dream in the wilderness. I was fighting this sword, the Word of the Lord in my own hand. I was fighting it, trying to learn how. But the more I connected with the sword, the more I became one with it, the sword began to take a life of its own on and a strength of its own. And I was just basically allowing it to to flow and work and and that's really how the word of the Lord the Lord wants the word of the Lord to work in us. He didn't want us to fight it and try to do it in our own strength, but let it and allow it to flow in your life and just yield it and yield yourself to the Lord and then wield that sword and God'll do some mighty things in in your life. Amen? All right. Thank you, Lord. I'm excited about getting the sword. I'm sorry it took me twenty five years to get it. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, amen. I got it. You know, better late than never, huh? I'm always a slow learner, you know. He's always on time. I'm just, it's just not me. <laughs> okay, um, if you will remember or not remember, it doesn't matter. Last week we started going through the book of what? Ephesians. You know, I was a Romans man for most of my Christian's life. That was my book in the Bible. In fact, that's really where I learned all my... My doctrine is in the book of Romans because it's really got all the major doctrines pretty much in there. Um, but I loved Romans to death for years. But then I fell in love about ten years ago. Ephesians became my book. And it became my book because of the prayer that was in there. I began to pray that prayer and I realized that prayer is there for, for a reason. And, and I know it's it because of what's hidden in that book. It really is Paul's, uh, it's Paul's most complete explanation of the gospel, okay, in one place. Even more than Romans. Like I said, Romans has got some things that he doesn't have, that's not in it, that's that's key parts of the gospel. Um, uh, Paul, so you could call it, you probably could get in trouble if you ever said this in some circles, the gospel according to Paul. You could really call Ephesians the gospel according to Paul. He really explains the gospel message in Ephesians. And it's powerful and explains how it impacts us. So remember I told you the purpose of the book in the theme of the book is is God's plan and God's purpose and the power of God to accomplish His plan and purpose. And it really is the blueprint for our Christian lives. 
Okay, that's what it is. It's a blueprint. It tells you how our Christian lives should be built, how, you know, what's in, what the gospel does in our Christian life, and how we can grow up into Christ. Also tells us uh, how the church, okay, there's a great revelation of the, of the body of Christ in Ephesians. Uh, and, and that's a big revelation coming down the pike, I really believe. Uh, but chapter 1 in the book is really important because it's like the foundation, okay? It's, a, it's, it's sort of like the foundation of the house. If you don't get the foundation, the rest of it's not going to do any good. It's, or like if you're a math person. Most math people know you better not try to do divisions if you can't understand addition and subtraction, right? I mean, forget division. Forget multiplication table. And don't even think about algebra. Just toss it to the wind. And so that's the way math is learned uh, as you learn it. Everything they tell you, you learn it as you go. Because if you don't get the thing down the road, it's going to bite you. Uh, because everything's important in math. You know, it builds towards something. And so that's the way this book is. What he's saying in chapter 1 is absolutely the whole, it's, it's the book. So he starts out, he gives a little introduction. And then in, in I think, verse, yeah, verse 3 through 6, he tells us what the Father has done for us. Which is... He adopted us. And that's what we really talked about last week is, is adoption and how, what the adoption means and, you know, what it, what it, it was from God's perspective. Uh, and then I shared, so I shared that last week, and then I shared some in verse 13 and 14, what the Holy Spirit does, what the, the Holy Spirit seals us. He makes this adoption. It's an identity that He puts on us that we are adopted sons and daughters. And then today I want to talk to you, verse 7 through 12, is what Jesus has done for us, okay? So you have right there, you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right there in the first few verses of the book. But then, and then that's where the prayer comes in. In, in verse 15, Paul, it's almost like he says, oh, I've told you these three awesome things. I've told you something that's very spiritual and very wonderful, and I need to pray for you now to get the spirit of wisdom and revelation, because if you don't get the spirit of wisdom and revelation, what I just told you, it's just going to be good information. It's going to be nice things to your mind, but it's not going to do anything to you. And when, so, so that prayer is really a key, you know, but we're not talking about the prayer today, but that's just the way it's laid out. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then up, just jumping into this prayer so we can get you know, what God is really trying to reveal to us in the gospel. Because if we don't get it, it's going to be sad for us. So that's sort of the layout of the first chapter 1. Isn't that really cool? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and I'm going to pray for you. That's, that's what Paul did. I'm going to pray for you to get a wisdom and revelation on this. And it sort of goes through that. But I'll tell you, that prayer will change your life. If you begin to earnestly pray that prayer, your life will be radically changed. It will be radically changed. Again, I'm slow. It took me ten years. <laughs> I feel like it was a ten year. Ten years I've been praying this prayer, Lord. And finally I'm starting to really come into the reality of the eyes of my understanding being opened. So anyway, so let's read. Are we good? All right, in verse 7 it says, In Him, being Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace. That's a wonderful verse in the Bible. Isn't it? In Him we have redemption. Um, so let me just share this. Have you? I've been saying this for years. Some of y'all may remember me saying it. There's greater revelation in John three sixteen than we realize, right? I mean, we look at that verse. It's on the TV on the football games. 
And I've been asking the Lord for years, Lord, I want to know more about John 3.16. Just that one verse, if you could just tell me. So God began to give me a little revelation of John 3.16. And it's that one word in there. And if this is a little bit of repeat last week, but it's so powerful. Begotten. Begotten. And begotten implies something very powerful. It implies how precious Jesus Christ is. And how Jesus was is the most rare person that ever existed. He is the he was a one of a kind person. Okay? There was nobody else ever created like Jesus Christ. Yet that's what the Father did. That's what redemption is all about when he says when he gave Jesus Christ for us. In other words, it's showing how much the Father loves us and wants us so bad that he was willing to give away this wonderful son that was rare and unique and a one-of-a-kind. And never would be another one like Him. Never, There will never be another person like Christ. And so the Father valued us and loved us so much that to, to, in order to, to obtain us, to get us, it's, and that's really what, what redemption is all about. Uh, you know, redemption, you know, one of the points last week was a redemption cost God more than anything else that He ever had. And in the natural, adoption costs people a lot of money. Nobody adopts a, per, a child that they don't want because you're going to pay big bucks to get this child. And you're going to go through a lot of trouble. See, God paid the ultimate price for us, meaning He loved us so much. He went after us. He didn't do it just because He was trying to rescue us or, or, or because we were pitiful or because we were messed up. He did it because He truly loved us and truly said, I'm, and, and I'm going to pay the ultimate price to get you. I'm going to... I'm going to uh, let me just share this one little quick thing about this dream I had. I had this dream where uh, I was, we was at church and we was with some people, and, and I got in the vehicle. Uh, it was Becky's vehicle, and I thought Becky was driving, and we went down the road, and suddenly we went to this road uh, that nobody could drive on unless they really knew how to drive on it. It, was a, it had all these, you had to really know how to get on this road. At that point, I realized it wasn't Becky, because I knew she couldn't drive on that road. <laughs> Y'all know about women drivers, right? Get all the women mad in here. I'm just joking. I'm trying to loosen y'all up. But there are, you know, things about women drivers and, and, and backseat drivers. Anyways, I realized that point. Wait a minute. Where, what is this? Who is this that's got me? And I never saw the person. And then they, we came to this place and it stopped. And then it was this elevator that went underground. Okay? And we came out in a Chinese restaurant. This is crazy, Okay? But this really means something. We came out in a Chinese restaurant. And I went in there, and, and there was a bunch of uh, people in there, and they were very nervous. You could tell they were very nervous people. They were, not, they were, not, they were unsettled. And so I was thinking, Lord, is this a divine appointment? And why am I here, Lord? Did you send me here? Or, or am I a hostage here, Lord? And so uh, I finally said, uh, I need y'all to tell me why I'm here. And they said, we need you to tell us why you're here. Why you're here. And when they said that, this is what I said to them. I said, I'm here to tell you about the most precious man who ever walked the face of the earth. And when I said that, that everything changed. The whole atmosphere changed. And I realized I was in the underground church. That's where I was at. I was in the underground church. And the Lord really has a calling that He wants. He wants the, the body of Christ. He wants me and you. He wants us to really get a revelation of how precious Jesus is. Because that's really what the message that God is calling us to take to the world. 
and uh, the, the message of that he, Jesus Christ was the most precious man that ever walked the face of the earth. There was nothing more precious than Jesus. And see, that's a revelation. See, I'm saying that to you, and some of you are hearing that with your minds, but you're not hearing it with your heart. But when you begin to hear that with your heart, something's going to change in you. Your life is going to begin to change. You are, you're, something's going to happen to you. And see, that's what Paul was trying to do in Ephesians. He was trying, in Ephesians 1, he was trying to get us to see how precious Jesus Christ is. That's really what the whole book really is about. It's when we begin to see how precious He is, we will gladly give everything for Him. We would gladly become a martyr for Him. Because we'd, but see, are y'all following that? And so that's when Paul prays, the eyes of your understanding, that we would begin to see how precious this person is. And I can't make you feel that, but I really want to. Uh, has anybody ever heard of a man named David Bazan? I, mean, I know somebody here has got to have heard of him. Raise your hand if you have. David Bazan. Do you all know what indie rock is? You know what it is. Well, David Bazan is an indie rock person. And, you know, that's alternative rock and roll. It came out of uh, punk music, right? And, and, or hardcore, right? It sort of, sort of sprang out of that. Well, David Bazan grew up in a, in a Christian home. Very good Christian, loving parents. Okay? And, but he became successful in alternative rock and roll. And he was, not, he, was, he, was, uh, he was not shy about his faith. But this is what happened to David Bazan. David Bazan forsook the faith. And he was not shy about uh, telling the world that he forsook. Jesus Christ. And this is, and he did a, they did an interview with him in Christianity Today. And the title of the interview was, I Never Wanted a Hard Heart. That's what he said, I Never Wanted a Hard Heart. And I went, read through it, and there's a whole group of, of people out there, young people in their 20s and 30s, who leave the church, who leave the faith when they get in those days. Many of them come back years later. Okay, but many leave, and they were going, and this whole article was about why he left and you know, it was just crazy some of the stuff. Uh, I actually don't believe the guys really left the faith based on some of the things he said. But, in it, but he's saying he has. In, it, in his mind, he believes he has. But this is, and then they, at the end of the article, they were given all these things of what the church needs to do to stop this. And there were no good answers being given. They had no answers. Uh, a lot of these people who lead the faith get into new age because they really are supernaturally minded. Some of them become atheists and don't believe anything supernatural. They'll say it. No, there's nothing supernatural. Okay? And some of them, they just said they change their creed to match their deeds. In other words, they start sinning and they, their conscience can't bear it, so they just say, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore because I'm doing all this other stuff and I don't want to quit, you know, living with my girlfriend or debauchery or whatever, so I'm going to quit being a Christian so I can do this and not feel condemned. So this is a real problem with Christian young people, whether you all realize it or not. But this is the thing I was asking the Lord. Lord, this, I believe that here's the answer. The answer is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the real answer. The, it's the ultimate answer. It's not, and I think we can do all these other things. You can teach them stuff. You can teach them right things. But if people don't get a revelation of Jesus Christ, if you don't have that revelation, you're not going to have, you're not going to have anything to constrain you ultimately. Your flesh will not be constrained. But when we begin to see Christ, how precious He is and how wonderful He is, there's a constraining factor that comes out of because we realize He's so much better than what anything in the world has to offer. He's much better than atheism. He's much better than New Age. He's much better than uh, changing my creed to match my deeds because I don't, 
Are y'all following this? And see, that's what God wants to do for the church. He wants to reveal Christ to us. And when we begin to see Him, we're going to fall in love with Him. Our lives are going to be changed. I'm talking to us, me, you. We need a greater revelation of this person, Christ. We need it. We're in desperate need of it. And I believe the Lord is going to reveal Jesus. And when we see Him, we're going to say, Oh my gosh, He's much, much more wonderful than I realized. He is the most precious person. He's the most rare person that ever existed. And we're going to be changed. And we're, going to, we're going to experience. That's why it says we're going to change from glory to glory. Well, there's a glory, glorious revelation of Jesus coming. There's a glorious revelation of the body of Christ coming. And there's a glorious revelation of end times coming. That all that's coming because all that is in, uh, wrapped up in the person of Christ. Okay, am I off the subject or what? I love all this because he's revealing himself. He's starting to do it right now. It's available now. Right now, it's available for you to have a greater revelation of Christ. And I pray that would be the end result of this, what we're doing right this second, a greater revelation of Christ. Uh, because I don't want to change my creed to match my deed. You know, I want to change my deeds to match my creed. And my creed is Christ. That's what I want to do. Well, here's what Romans eight fifteen through 16. Are we all right? We're just good and, you know, eight fifty. I read this last week. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What we, don't, what we need to realize, what Matthew shared was this young man had the orphan spirit on him, okay? But here's what we don't think about a lot. Not only were we orphans, we were slaves. Now, I'm telling you, we need to get this. We were slaves. We were prisoners, and that's why Paul says we, that's why he said that we did not receive the, the spirit of bondage again. In other words, he was saying we were in bondage. Okay? And see, a lot of Christians don't realize the bondages that they were in. They were like jailed. Did you know something in the United States of America? This is a fascinating thing that's not taught in most schools. Have you, does anybody here know about orphan trains? You know about them. Anybody else? Never heard of orphan trains? Well, listen to this. I'm going to read this little blurb here. From, 19, from 1854 to 1929, orphan trains from New York placed, placed out 150,000 to 200,000 destitute children, mainly to homes and farming communities of the Midwest. Some of these children, young infants to age 15, were orphans. Many were homeless street kids, and others were given up by parents unable to provide for their well-being. Some had been abandoned by their families, were runaways, or had been removed from abusive homes. Some were adopted and brought into loving families, but some became what they call indentured, indentured servants, which were basically slaves. United States of America. There's people in this room that were alive when that was happening. My mom was here, and she was born in 1919. She lived 10 years while these orphan trains were happening. Okay? Now, here's what my point is. My point is this. A lot of those kids became slaves. In the United States, they went and worked on farms, and, and basically it was this. You can eat, you can drink, and here's a bed as long as you do what you're told to do. And the minute you stop, you're done. 
And you see, a lot of Christians don't realize that, they, and that what, we, what Christ brought us out, he not, he not only brought us out of being orphans, He brought us out of bondage like that. He brought us out of being slaves, or He brought us out of prisons. Many of us are in pri- or have been in prison. I'm talking, you've been in prison to, to sexual sin. You've been in prison to, to narcotics. Whatever it is, just your, your looks, you've been in prison by your looks. And you see, that's what Jesus did. He not only brought us and made us a family, He not only adopted us, but it says He redeemed us. You see, He, he redeemed us. That means He paid a ransom for us. That's what it means, redeem. We need to get a revelation of redemption. Redemption, was, it was powerful. It's a powerful word in the Bible. Yet, to most Christians, it's, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins. But no, it was His blood. His blood went and bought us out of that situation we were in, that we were stuck in a situation with a bad family being the devil, being the daddy of that family, and the demons being our brothers and sisters, being abused and being taken advantage of to do His will. And Jesus' blood came and took us and bought us out of that situation. And that is the rare blood, the most precious blood that brought us out. And see, that's the kind of thing that, that Paul was saying, we've got to get this revelation on this because this will change your life when you begin to, to see it by revelation. Are you all good? All right, it says there, it says, um, in Him we have redemption through His blood that forgives according to the riches of His grace. According to riches of His grace. So that's really important because that word riches there means abundant and precious. Abundant. Now think about abundant and precious. Abundant and precious are not words that typically go together, right? If something's abundant, like there's an abundance of gravel out there on the end of the road, But it's not precious. You see what I'm saying? Most things in the natural that are abundant are not considered precious. You got that? And, and here's, what, here's what Paul's saying. There's this grace that is released to us. It's, it's not only abundant, it's precious. The most precious man that ever walked on the face of the earth. It was his blood that released this redeeming grace to our lives. And it's an abundant grace. And is that not powerful to you? Uh, because here it is. His grace is abundant, abundantly given. There, and there's no end to God's grace. It's everywhere. It's, if you want it, grace is abundant. It, actually, that word means superabundance in the Greek. It means above and beyond. It means overflowing. You heard that pressed down, shaking together, running over thing. That, uh, well, who's that guy that used to sing that? Remember, we used to listen to it. On the radio, some famous evangelist he would sing, that sang, and he'd sing that good message. Jimmy Swaggart. Oh, don't think bad about Jimmy Swaggart this day. I know you did. But he sang this song about good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. When you cast your bread upon the waters, it returns like that. That's what abundance is. That's what it's trying to tell people. There's a, this grace that's like that, but it's also very precious. It's very rare in God's eyes. What God has given us, all He's done it in abundance, is really rare and precious to the Lord Himself. It's awesome. All right, listen to this. And then verse 1-8, it says, in which He made abound. See, Paul, I'm going to tell you one thing. When you get looking at Ephesians, He uses abundance. He uses abound. Above and beyond, exceeding. He uses these words all through this book. Why was he doing that? Because he was trying to get us to see something. He was using these big words that describe something that's powerful because he's trying to get us to see what God has done for us and what God has for us. The riches is mighty. It's, it's huge. It's beyond our thinking. It's above and beyond what we can ask or think. That's what he says. 
over there, I think in, in, in chapter 3. And it really makes a difference. He made, uh, which he made, he made this grace to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Uh, this superabundance grace. Now, wisdom, so he did it with wisdom and prudence. Okay, y'all know what wisdom is. Wisdom is skill, it's discernment, it's ability, right? That's what it is. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about wisdom, it talks about the highest and noblest thing there is. So God, in His wisdom, in, His, the, high, in, in the highest and noblest way that He could, in, with all His skill, with all His uh, ability, with all that He had, okay, He decided, this is how I'm going to release redemption into the world. Now, that's what He did. And then it says wisdom and prudence. You know what prudence? That's an old word, Right? Prudence means how you apply wisdom, which really is understanding. That's the, a lot of modern translations use wisdom and, and understanding. Are y'all with me on this? Hey, we need to get excited about this. I'm real excited about it. I'll be honest with you, because this will change your life. When you see that God did this and He used prudence to do it. In other words, God didn't throw together some redemptive plan for people. He didn't come up with something real quick like, gosh, they're in trouble. I've got to do something. I'm going to throw together this plan and save their hides. No, he thought it out. He sat down and thought, what is the, the highest and greatest way that I could redeem mankind? And he can't, in the highest and greatest ways, I know what I'll do. I'll take the most precious and rare thing that I have. The most precious and rare thing that I have. That's how I'll redeem it. I will redeem it with this precious and rare thing. And that should make you love the Lord. That's what it's meant to do. It's what Paul's trying to get us to do. In fact, he prays that later. He, you see, in three, in chapter three, he has to, he realizes, y'all are not getting this. I can just see Paul saying, I've said all this, I've said this, but you're not getting it, so I'm going to pray that you would know the love of God. You would know these things by revelation. It's something we had to grab hold to. Woo! I love this stuff. The Father with great generosity while using the highest and most noble way delivered to us the grace of redemption. That's powerful, isn't it? The grace of redemption. I love that. Thank you, Lord. Verse 9. Having made, to, made known to us the mystery. Everybody say mystery. Woo! Mystery of the according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. All right. Now, this is an important word in Ephesians is mystery. It's an important word in our Christian life. He actually uses that word six times in the book. There are six chapters. Anyways, uh, he said the, it's the mystery of His will, the, the mystery, the mystery of Christ, the mystery that for ages has been hidden, the mystery of Christ in the church, and the mystery of the gospel. In other words, what Paul was saying, what we're talking about here is mysterious. It's not something you're going to understand with your natural mind. Now, here's the thing about mystery. This is something that, that really wears Christians out, all of us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, which God ordained before the ages for our glory. So this, right there, that verse is telling you that mystery. Now, a lot of people don't like mystery. They don't like the way God operates because they can't fully understand it. But right, that verse is telling us that the mystery is for glory, for our glory. In other words, when God does something that seems counter to what we believe He should do, or when He should do it, or how He should do it, God's trying to tell us a message. There's this glory that's going to be released. Mysteries for glory. It's for our glory. Do you all follow that? Okay? Uh, it says, uh, you know, uh, Romans says, Romans says, His ways are past finding out. Now that's talking about the mystery of the Lord. 
You see, because God ultimately will never figure him out. We'll never get enough revelation to understand God. We will never get there. But then Jesus said in uh, uh, Matthew 13 that to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of God. So there's this divine tension in the Bible about mysteries. Okay? There, There really is a divine tension about mysteries. That some mysteries God reveals, some He doesn't. Are y'all following that? But there was a great mystery in the history of mankind. There was a great mystery. And Paul says it was the mystery of redemption. That was a mystery. It's no longer a mystery to us. What he's saying here is not mysterious to us. But he told us what the mystery was. But for people born uh, in B.C., it was a mystery. I'm talking even for the prophets... This whole thing of redemption, they didn't understand it. It's mysterious. How is God going to save mankind? We're talking about Elijah and Moses and Abraham, all these people. They did not understand what we understand today because it wasn't revealed to them. It wasn't revealed. It was a mystery. So there's a lot of mysteries out there still, okay? Like the mystery of suffering. That's a mystery to Christians. I don't know what it is. It is to me because I believe in healing. I believe in divine health, and when, when people suffer, it's like, that can't, how's that add up? Hadn't figured it out yet. God hadn't revealed that mystery yet. There's the mystery of God's seemingly waiting forever to answer your prayer. Anybody had that mystery? Like, why ain't you answering the prayers? I was talking to somebody recently. They've had more prophetic words and promises of them. And I said, you know, this is, and they're mad now. They're upset with the Lord. Because I'm tired of the words. I just want the answer. I don't need another prophetic word. I just need God to do this thing He promised He would do. But they're living in the mystery. You see that? So it's important for us as Christians to understand that we have to live in a mystery. Always. There's always going to be this divine tension of God's revealing, revealing mysteries to us and the divine tension of His ways are past fire. I just don't know. And I don't know is a good answer. Okay. Oh, yeah. Come on, Lord. Help me. Are y'all good? Yeah. All right. Verse 10. That in the dis- now, here's what the mystery he was talking about. He tells us what the mystery was. That in the dispensation of the fullness of, of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. That's the mystery in him. Okay? That, that's, the, that's the mystery that Paul was taking. Dispensation, if you're an end-time person, you think you know what this word means. It's not what you're thinking about. This, you know, that's a end time word people use dispensation actually it means the management of a household so God looked on human history he managed human affairs and human history to the exact right time exact right time and then he revealed how he was going to do it in Christ that's, that's what that verse is saying and then he also says and here's the ultimate purpose of God the ultimate purpose of God is to have a Christian universe Everything's coming. I mean, that means every, that's God's final answer. This is the way it's going to be. Everything's going to be Christian. There ain't going to be no non-Christian in His universe. That's God's ultimate purpose. Everything's going to be gathered in Christ. Everything. There's not going to be one thing that's not going to be left out of Him. You see that? That means we're going to have a Christian universe or a Christian cosmos to, list, to live in. And so that's really what God's saying. This is what my ultimate plan is. We're going to have a Christian universe. That's going to be an awesome universe. Everything's Christian. Everything's godly. Everything's the Holy Spirit. That's going to be a good day, right? 
Everything summed up in Christ, brought together in Christ, because Christ is the main thing. Verse 11, and then we'll be done. Are y'all okay? Come on, Lord, help them. Give them that spirit of wisdom and revelation right now. Let's don't wait till we pray it. Just go ahead and do it. In Him, we also have attained an inheritance. All right, now listen. That is not what the Greek says. It's, I don't know why these King James and other people did that. It doesn't mean that. It says, literally, we have been made an inheritance. In other words, we're the inheritance. Now, that's pretty big. I mean, because we all want inheritance. We want something from God, right? But God is saying, no, I wanted something. I wanted you. It goes back to God saying how precious you are, how much I love you. I was willing to give you my most precious son to get you. You have been made my inheritance. That's a good identity, right? Can that change your heart? Can that change the way you see about yourself when you realize, I, Byron Wicker, am the inheritance of God Almighty. God looks at me and sees me as His inheritance. It's, you know, an inheritance is important in the natural. And He's saying, this boy right here, he's my inheritance. And you mess with him. <laughs> That's, hmm? No, I didn't spit on him. Not yet. <laughs> Should have. <laughs> According to the purpose of him who worked. Don't y'all love that? And you'll find out when he prayed it. That was one of the things he prayed. The glory, his glorious inheritance in the saints. That our eyes would be open to see that. See, all this is spiritual what I'm talking to you this morning. Everything I'm saying to you is really spiritual. And the only way you can really grasp it in your life where it really makes a difference in your life is to grasp it spiritually, to see it spiritually. Because if you just see it the way you're hearing it, well, I don't know how you're hearing it, but I do know one thing. This is the way God designed our Christian life to be. These are the things He wanted us to know that the gospel message is. This is why Jesus hung on the tree. Okay, and went through what He did so we could grab hold of these things. I'm excited about it. All right, let me get you this. I'm, being, I'm about done, okay? Being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. All right, everybody say counsel of His will. Did you notice He just said the mystery of His will? Did you catch that? And then there was another place there in chapter 1 where He talked about the good pleasure of His will. And then at the very beginning, he talked about just his will. Now, this is important. This is, I want to help you with something just sort of practical. So you have the will of God. You've got the good pleasure will of God. You've got the mystery of his will. And then you've got the counsel of his will. Okay, so whenever we talk, see, everybody wants to know about the will of God, right? I need to know what the will of God is, right? Everybody's interested. Y'all interested in the will of God? Yeah, okay, so you've got to realize this is the way the will of God works. There's the will of God. Okay, and then there's the good pleasure of His will. In other words, what God is, what He was trying to get to us is God. It, it, God gives great pleasure to reveal what He's doing to mankind, to you in your personal life. He wants you to know what His will is. He has pleasure in revealing that to you. But then there's the third aspect. You know, He reveals it, but then it doesn't make sense. That's the mystery part, right? Has anybody got the will of God going in their life, and it makes no sense in their life? I mean, come on, have you ever just thought about it? Well, this, I know this is the will of God. God has revealed this will to me. But it don't make no sense. Well, it's not supposed to because there's a mystery aspect of His will. There really is a mystery aspect of His will. We have to learn to live with that mystery aspect. But then it says, He don't just leave us in mystery. He releases counsel. 
In other words, I'm going to counsel you in, my, in, in the will of God for your life if you'll receive it. Okay? Now, I'm going to tell you, here's the greatest counsel God ever gave me about His will. This is the best. It's John 5, 19 and 20. Amen. Yeah. Jesus only did what He saw the Father doing. When we, we can say, the will of God for me 25 years ago was to teach the Word. Well, 25 years ago, I step out and try to teach the Word. It is the will of God for you, Byron, to do that, but not right now. And you're just going to make a big mess, which I did. And nobody wants to hear that. You know? Are y'all getting this? You've got to get the counsel of His will. You've, and here's how you get the counsel of your will. Whatever the Lord's doing, that's what He wants to do. That's what He wants in your life. You've got to look and see what God's doing and say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do all these things I think you want to do because evidently you're not wanting to do them today. And so I found out when my, in my spiritual life, when I try to do the will of God that God's not doing right that moment, I just dry up and become sort of cynical and negative in my life. But when I have this heart, remember when I said you've got to yield to willed? That's what you've got to do. You've got to yield to it. You've you got, you got to yield to His will. And if He's saying... You know what, Byron? 25 years from now, I'm going to put this sword back in your hands. I have to yield to that. And let him do what he needs to do in my life so 25 years I could get the sword. But y'all following that? And see, that, that's a really big part of this whole book is the will of God. You know, the will of God for us. Amen? Oh, praise the Lord. I'm so glad I'm done. Because I feel like I'm just talking to people who are just like bored stiff. And they're like, why y'all done? Why is he talking about, I already know about redemption. I, I, I know about the will of God. I know about this. I know about that. <laughs> God wants to give us revelation. When we, don't, when we think we know, we really don't know. Like, God, there's something more. There's something more. I'm telling you, there's something more. There's a revelation of Jesus coming. That's what the Ephesians is about. It's about revealing Christ to us and our lives being dramatically changed and we quit being boring, dead Christians because God wants a church on fire for Him and He's going to have a victorious church. He's not giving us a sword this morning to be losers. He's giving us a sword this morning to win because He wins. Amen? All right, stand up. I'm done. I'll just wear you out. Just trying to. Father, thank you this morning for everybody in the room that has. Well, just thank you for everybody, whether they have it or not. Lord, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to really attach itself to our hearts and minds. Open our eyes to see how great Jesus Christ is, how much He gave for us. Lord, just change us. Lord, I pray that we would begin to get visions of Jesus. Lord, we begin to get visions of how wonderful. Uh, Jesus Christ is. How wonderful. Oh, Lord. Uh, the fire of heaven falling on the church because the Son of God is being revealed. Lord, we ask You to do that. You know, the Bible talks about that He looked like a person who'd been in fire. Jesus. That's in, in Revelation. Mm. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see that. We're going to see this man of fire, this man of fiery compassion, fiery love. Lord, we just ask you to do that. I'm asking it for every person in this room this morning to catch this, Lord. Lord, this is not something people can understand. It's something they need to catch. I pray there's people catching it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just bless them, Father. Thank you. Amen.